Well, hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the podcast about action figures. But you know, it's a little bit edgier. You might even say it's a little bit extreme. And I know something about extreme because I'm the franchise Shane Douglas. Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast, the gold standard. Tune in or get your, you know what, franchise. Now cut the music. Welcome back to the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. I'm your host, Will the Thrill, and today is a very special episode of the podcast. We are featuring an extended Collector's Corner episode, and now this is going to be exciting, guys. We want to welcome the Prince of Pokemon. I made that moniker. He is the executive VP and partner of Jazzwares. And as we like to call him here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast, he is the godfather of wrestling figures, Mr. Jeremy Padauer. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's great to see you. And I uh, I have to tell you, you've been very persistent, and I appreciate that. It's that kind of hustle that gets you the good guests. And I will tell you right now, I'm looking behind you, and I see such a marvelous, incredible collection. You have earned your stripes behind the mic, and you've earned your stripes as a collector. It's no wonder why so many people listen to you. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you, obviously, because we all look to you as a mentor in this industry, uh, even if we're not involved in it in a business perspective. But from a collecting perspective, you yourself are an amazing collector. Uh, you yourself have amazing things behind you. <laughs> and it's just amazing. Well, I, I got to tell you, I think one one interesting point in my mind is that action figures, my opinion, there's no factual thing when it comes to providing investment feedback on any collectible system. But I think action figures have lagged so far behind the rest of the collectible industry. If you look at cards and you look at coins and you look at other things, my goodness, I feel like figures, because they're kind of more difficult to grade, have really lagged behind. So I'm looking at your collection and what I see is, you know, again, my opinion, I see future gold. It's uh, fantastic. Some of the exclusives and limited editions that you have sitting back there. Thank you. And we'll definitely get into that topic of discussion a little later as far as how you see the actual marketplace for collecting wrestling figures. We'll talk a little bit about the grading situation because that's something we do want to get into with you and your perspective on it. And we'll see where it goes from there. But what I'd like to talk about first is your history. We all know you grew up in the South. You fell in love with wrestling there. We, we all know <laughs> you're writing letters to famous people at like the age of like, I don't know, 10 years old or something. But then you become a domain investor in the 90s. You graduate from Vanderbilt with an MBA in 2001. And then Mattel picks you up. How does this all unfold? How do you get with Mattel? Where's this passion? Where's this drive for the toy industry? I always wanted to do things that I understood. And had and and sort of an inherent understanding for. So my staying in school for a long time was really all about being able to be entrepreneurial and pay for it and uh, have a little bit of money on the side. I figured as long as I could be a average student but pay for it and be reasonably good test taker, why not? Because I joke because I did a JD MBA and so that's five years of grad school. And my running joke is I got two years worth of education because the other education was purely entrepreneurial. I was in the domain name business. I was gaming Yahoo by figuring out how to name new websites on, on their system with like two A's, three A's so that I would come up first in any category. 
Like I was doing a lot of things that was hustle oriented that went way beyond the value of the education. But being in school allowed me to have the latitude of doing whatever I wanted on the side because people don't expect much of a student. The, the bigger issue was once I figured out how to make enough money to pay my loans and to pay for my ongoing academics, it was for me a time of just like, what the hell? I mean, honestly, I could have stayed. I could have stayed and done another degree, but it was it was getting a little ludicrous, to be honest with you. <laughs> I know. It's funny. I, I listened to another interview you did, and you said you were at the point where you're making more money than your professors. So that says a lot. By far. I mean, I will tell you that my last year of grad school, I sold one domain for $500,000, act.com. And it's crazy. I've told the story before, but I was 20 four or 25 years old, I get a call from Symantec and they're like, hey, uh, you have act.com and uh, you're in violation of our trademark. And one of the benefits of, of having a law degree, or at least at that time being a law student, I was able to reply very quickly. Yeah, you might have a trademark, but you don't have a trademark in every single category. I mean, you have a trademark in one or two categories. It's like, so why don't you call the people at Act Toothpaste and tell them they're violating your trademark? Or why don't you call the people at the ACT company and tell them you're violating your trademark? And they said, well, Mr. Padauer, we'll call you back. Click. And uh, about 30 minutes later, I get a call back. Hey, uh, Mr. Padauer would like to offer you $300,000 for your domain name. I don't know. I don't know what took over me. I said, no, thank you. Hung up. <laughs> he called me back like 30 minutes later. Mr. Padauer, we'll offer you one more time. This is at $500,000 for your name. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And I will tell you, what did I do? I went and I bought a Razor scooter that I then rode one time down a hill and into a ditch, like literally realizing that uh, having a little bit of money won't make me any more athletic. And I was like, that's it. It's over. I'm just going to be the nerdy guy that likes to do what I do. <laughs> and that's, and, but the shift to getting into the world of toys was really Mattel at Vanderbilt. They interviewed me and then I got a letter and they had passed. They said, for whatever reason, it was a very nice letter, but they're passing on, on my coming in as a associate brand manager. And I ripped it up, threw it away, burned it, locked it away, annihilated that letter and called them about four weeks later. Hey, I haven't heard back from you guys. And I could tell there was a little bit of a pause. Like, wait, we, we rejected this kid. And they said, uh, well, you know, why don't you come in and interview for the Harry Potter job? And I did, and I didn't get it. They liked what they saw, but it wasn't a fit. And I went back a few weeks later for a Hot Wheels job that I got. Now, I guess the big lesson there is, number one, you can go to school forever, and it doesn't necessarily get you the job. And number two, it was hustle that got me through grad school, it got me through an entrepreneurial opportunity, and it also got me the, the gig at Mattel and pretty much everything beyond that. It was just the knowledge and the awareness that hard work and taking some chances and really using no professionally in a very diplomatic way is all things that can work to your favor. That's what resonates, especially with me. I feel the same I feel the same way about life and about profession and just about finding your passion and whether or not you have the experience or the education or not, use it to your advantage, do hard work, 
and it'll get you where you need to be. I mean, I made a career transition in my late 20s, early 30s, and now I have an entrepreneurial uh, position with co-owner of an importer distributor of a specialty cheese of all things, you know? Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. (laughs) You really have to just identify and then go after it and just love what you do. And it's a great story you've had. So you work with Mattel, you're running the Hot Wheels line. I do know that you did a little bit with Masters there as well. And then you moved to Jack's. How does that transition come about? So I met Mattel. I met Mattel for several years and um, I was on Hot Wheels and then they moved me over to the action figure business, which was great. And I managed He-Man and various things like Nickelodeon brands. And then I got an opportunity to leave to go to a company called Jack Specific. And it was, again, maybe 2003, 2002, 2003, something like that. And it was the Attitude Era was over. Their WWE sales were really problematic. No real fault of their own. It was just a big shift of time. I mean, WWE had gone through a massive change from the Attitude Era and then trying to figure out how to, to maintain its presence. It's actually a period really quickly, sorry for interrupting you, that I stopped watching wrestling. So when you move into that ruthless aggression era, it just didn't appeal to me because it seemed like the storylines were watered down and there was so much cannibalization in the marketplace where they became essentially a monopoly in the pro wrestling industry. Right. They did. And so I looked at the situation and essentially realized that if we kept doing exactly what we were doing, which was creating toys, that it would be gone very quickly. Like the we'd be off the shelf at Walmart. Walmart was very open with us about that this was our kind of our last shot with WWE. And so I put together a business plan and sat down with Vince McMahon and his team and essentially said, leverage your alumni roster. It was two things. Number one was leverage your alumni roster. And number two was we're not making toys, we're making collectibles. Because I believed that adult consumers would do exactly what you have behind you, which is a phenomenal display of incredible items that have rarity and scarcity. And I knew that if you could do that, then you would also achieve a situation where people would engage, play, and display with some of the less scarce stuff, for lack of a better word. And then they would collect and display the more scarce stuff, mint and package. And Vince essentially was concerned and, you know, you know, I don't know, because what happens if we want to have an alumni association one day and you have everybody's rights tied up in action figures? And essentially what I said was, well, there's an easy way to go about this, an easy fix. And again, it's because that probably because I had a law degree and I was able to think quickly. And I simply said, well, we can sign these athletes, these former superstars to a program But the moment they go to your alumni association, we can put it in our contract that they get paid in full from us and they get the benefits of any rights that you have assumed. And we, as your licensee, then achieve the licensing rights immediately on the toy side. And he agreed. They agreed. And so Classic Superstars, by February 2004, we displayed it at Toy Fair. And it was immediately very interesting to buyers. They all took it. They saw it. They saw the potential. They took it. And what happened at retail with the first wave was immediately clear that we were hitting on the right things. And what we were doing with ruthless aggression, adrenaline, rather than 
shipping out as many units as you could during a season, we started cutting it off month to month. So we're like, ruthless aggression can run a month. That's it. We trained our factory on how to do that so that they could get in and out of a wave. We increased the number of waves dramatically. We just did everything that we needed to do to create scarcity and to create a reason for adult collectors to be interested, including things like real scans, including things like increasing, enhancing the deco. And obviously, this is 17 years ago. So there are certain things about action figures today that have progressed. But for the time, it was truly innovative and it was really next level. And, and if you look at action figures today, you can see that they're derivative of what we did at that time. Of course, the evolution is there, especially with the scanning technology. And as you mentioned, so you're coming in basically after the BCA era, you are 29 years old. You create the classic superstars line, which is incredible. I mean, it, it really shows to the foresight, you know, and just the ability to recognize the demand for these products and, and kind of be innovative with it, right? You're, you have that innovation there, pressing on the legends, creating legends deals, even for possibly wrestlers that maybe in bad financial situations or maybe in terrible health situations that they need actually some income to help pay for these things in their lives. So you're really fostering this and creating these contracts for them, which then turns into, I mean, it's got to be a multi-million dollar industry now for the wrestler and also obviously the WWE in itself. And to what you're saying, I mean, when we were dealing with the former or classic superstars, their situations were highly variable. I mean, we would sign one person who was in a retirement community having a decent sort of experience, maybe towards the end of their life. We'd signed someone else that was sort of like hidden away in a YMCA gym wrestling in front of 20 people in their 60s, but they all appreciated being acknowledged. They all appreciated being included. Almost all of them felt like they were no longer part of the zeitgeist. They thought that they were an era that, has, that had gone away because there wasn't a lot of celebrating the alumni roster. So I feel like what we accomplished was twofold. I feel like the first thing that we accomplished was that we reinvigorated the line and we, we really helped push the action figure business from being kids to being collector and kids. And we made it very clear to WWE and wrestling in general that the alumni roster is super potent in terms of what they can bring to the table. And what I didn't fully recognize in the moment was that the benefit to the individual classic superstars where you know there may not have been as much interest for a Bastion Booger to go to an event. Well, once the figure's there, there's a lot of interest because people want it signed. And so it would give them a double acknowledgement from fans who now find them current simply because they existed in a line that they were engaged with. So, man, it was so awesome. And I got to tell you, as a 29-year-old and in my early 30s, and Classic Superstars ran for a solid seven years. But during that time, it was remarkable connecting with people like George the Animal Steel and Ultimate Warrior and Bret Hart. And Ultimate Warrior, for instance, it was dramatic that he was in the first series. And I made it very clear that we needed to do dramatic things. But it was dramatic that he was in the first series because they were embroiled in all kinds of back and forth legal issues over the years. And frankly speaking, I believe they were in one at that time concurrent to my pitching the idea that Ultimate Warrior would be in wave one. But to Vince McMahon's credit, you know, he was fully keenly aware that it would be good for his business. 
and that it would be good for the overall business in general. And yeah, I got to give them credit because a lot of people would get ego and have ego be the leading driver. And here we are with this guy who's massive and known for being the ego guy that comes to the ring and all that stuff. But he's making the decision to set ego aside because he knew that it was more important to drive business. So I learned a lot in that situation, you know, and I, I got to tell you, like for me, you know, ego is is a, a very small part of, you know, the way I run any business and or help run any business. And we can see that. And we'll discuss a little later your philanthropic efforts on social media, your social media platforms. I think that's the perfect example of you not being egotistical from just a personal standpoint, not even from a business standpoint. So moving on a little bit, I just wanted to briefly ask you a couple questions here. I know Warrior and Brett were probably the two biggest names that you ever signed to that line. And for the various reasons we discussed, you know, Vince not having good relationships with them being the most probably meaningful. But what in your eyes was the most meaningful signing aside from those two? Who do you think was really important to have in the line that may have not been there? other than those two? And then what is the most meaningful figure that you created of the 100 plus classic superstars figures that you had the opportunity to make? Another thing that that we did early on was we engaged with ringside collectibles. And Jonathan was just like he was in college. He was doing some really smart things by acquiring the wrestling figs boards. I had done a lot of things like with Yahoo many years before in the collectible space. So I knew how valuable it was to have, you know, a discussion forum where the people were. So I worked with Jonathan early and ringside collectibles early to put together a very long list of superstars names and asked consumers to give them a one, two, three, four, or five grade, five being the most intent to purchase, one being the least. And so, again, 2003, so, I, I mean, the technology wasn't as advanced, so we had to do this all sort of like click, 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 click. But the result was we had like 300 names, and we could rank them by consumer purchase intent. And so I knew who the A and B and C lists were right off the bat. And I just made the assumption that they wouldn't change very much over time because these careers, by the most part, were concluded. And so Jonathan and that team were really great and responsive. I believe we collected like 3,000 responses. And so at the very top of those lists were athletes like the Road Warriors and Ric Flair and you know some of the some individuals like Abdul the Butcher who would rank higher than you would ever expect and who never really spent any time in WWE. And if they did, maybe it was in WWWF way back in the day. So we were able to celebrate non-WWE wrestlers kind of breaking the fourth wall in WWE before anybody else ever did, if you can imagine. And that was all because it was positioned as this historical roster of athletes. So I, I think that to me, signing some of the, the higher ranked people, but then also signing some of the more, the, the lower ranked, like again, Bastion Booger at the time probably had one of the lowest rankings 
But I knew that in order to have a complete line that would really excite collectors, you throw that sort of thing in and people go like, oh my God, these guys get it. You know what? They get it. You know, like you go to a event today, like an AEW event, and you hear the chant, this is wrestling, this is wrestling. And I get what they're saying. What they're saying is you're celebrating what the core of wrestling is versus putting on a giant elaborate show. And I kind of felt like we were able to do that with the classic superstars line because we were so inclusive and we did go so far beyond what you might expect. So, you know, Andy Kaufman, imagine that Andy Kaufman, did he ever in a million years step one foot in any WWE ring? No way. He was a Mid-South wrestler who was also a world-class comedian and provocateur, but he was in the line because it was the right thing to do. And that was, again, an, an awesome signing as far as I was concerned. That's awesome. Yeah. And just creating that expansive roster, like you said, even for the people, the cult characters. I mean, I have, I, you know, I have a Bastion Booger. I have a Shockmaster. <laughs> Shockmaster. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that you would put the helmet on him that was the Stormtrooper helmet? And it was just, it's, it's just that crossover is just, it is classic. We like to say, stay classic here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. So as we move on, we want to definitely get into your bread and butter now. You talked about AEW, you talked about This Is Wrestling, the AEW phenomena, and I, for one, am on the train, and I'm on board, and I'm all in with your Jazzwares AEW Unrivaled Lines, my friend. I mean, you're doing an incredible job. Thank you. 1.5 years into the launch, you have retail presence, Walmart, Target, Amazon, GameStop, Ringside Collectibles, online retailers. I mean, you name it, you're everywhere now. You've already released over 100 figures in the line collectively. I, I'm looking at this and I'm wow. just like, impressive. Bravo. Wow. I actually, that, that's amazing. And I, you're right, because that's where we're at currently. But I, I'll tell you that I believe that we're just scratching the surface with AEW and that we're going to have a, a really long, productive run. And the, the idea is to celebrate the world of wrestling. And to do it, you know, I really like Tony Khan's perspective and outlook. You know, I feel like you're getting a national wrestling organization, but it has the feel of regional wrestling a lot of ways. They utilize a lot of talent that comes in and out. When you do utilize talent, like I got to tell you, like being a little bit older, one of the things that was so cool about regional wrestling that I love the most was that they would bring monsters in to the region. And the hero would fight the monster, the hero would get clobbered, and then the hero would win in the end. And, it, and that was the formula that happened over and over again, but it, it captivated people. And while that's a lot more complicated today because everything is, tends to be a little bit more gray now, it is still the same concept that if you're watching this, you never know what you're going to see. It could celebrate the best of anything you've ever heard of around the world. And, you know, in the end, the net result is that you've got a very engaging and entertaining situation. And so I, I really value the way that company is being managed. I love the culture. Going to Minneapolis last weekend for the pay-per-view, well, first of all, it's amazing. The biggest wrestling fans are wrestlers when it comes to, and the biggest action figure collectors nowadays are the wrestlers. In the early 2000s, 
what I didn't realize I was doing is I didn't realize I was training the next group of professional wrestlers to be collectors, which turned out to be freaking awesome because now it allows me to engage in a very different way. Like, oh my gosh, this is the guy that made the stuff that I loved when I was a kid and now he's making my stuff. That's really crazy cool, especially because it used to be when you were 10, you stopped and you were done. But now there's no stopping. It's just a continuous collecting. Why you're collecting changes over the time. But yeah, I, look, it's it's been very meaningful to me because I didn't know and I didn't fully expect that I would have like you know, a legacy or anything like that. So I, I'm glad I do. You know, I'm hoping to build upon that. Well, you do have a, a very, very awesome legacy and you'll continue to do that. I know that, especially with this line. You have the Unrivaled Collection in singles and two packs now, two packs that are just starting to hit Amazon, Amazon.com. You have the Unmatched Collection. You're throwing in an homage again to earlier style wrestling figures such as the LJN stuff. You have wrestling buddies, and I got one down here right now, which is <laughs> the funnest thing ever. I got my Kenny Omega buddy right here, which is so cool. And I love it. You got the old logo for that as well. Yes. Let me ask you, how do you, do you acquire the LJN logo? Do you guys own it now? Do you guys own the Wrestling Buddy logos? How do you do it? I mean, is it all licensing? It's, it's amazing. Yeah, no. So Wrestling Buddies and the LJN was through our friends at Chalkline and a guy named Spiff TV. These are two like really awesome manufacturers. Spiff is a producer and a, and a musician and an artist. And I think from their perspective, they didn't necessarily have the outlet for this particular category. We do. And my mindset was, hey, let's do a deal. And this is going to help you guys put the brand name back on the map. And we're launching this thing. And you know, from the way we look at it, there is no better name for it. So LJN should be called LJN. It shouldn't be called retro classic, you know, whatever. And the wrestling buddies should be called wrestling buddies, not wrestling, you know, attack friends or whatever the hell you cook some stupid name that doesn't mean anything. But again, this is all about hitting two audiences. This is all about an adult collector going like, this is wrestling, but in the act, but in, but in the product side of that saying like, yeah, this is, this is legit. This is organic. Thank you for that one thing that you did that made this for me really plausible because if you hadn't put that logo on it it was just going to be a plush but now that logo's there and it and now it's a continuation of something that I've always loved yes and also you know you're very collector focused and driven in this line at retail right now i mean the aw core demos 18 to 49 you're attacking yeah. that demo you're coming out with 6 inch scale figures that are collector focused they have high posability if you still want to play with them and and take your figure photography or whatnot or even if you're a kid and your parents can spend 20 bucks a figure on you. So you, you're really heavy into this, but then you sprinkle in a little bit, you know, of the kids' belts, these wrestling buddies. My question to you would be this you know, you're in the fight scale, you're deep in it, knees deep. You go across all platforms, Mattel figures, et cetera, et cetera. Now that you're kind of hitting the children's markets, more of the children's markets, you do have a lot of three and three quarter inch, four inch options in your other IPs, the Halo stuff, the Fortnite stuff. Do you think you would do? a release 
in that category at mass retail for this AEW brand? Do you think eventually you would do a four-inch figure that's more child-focused but collector-friendly? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do. I, I think that as you're expanding a line, it's almost like if you were hungry, okay, what you really want is is food that's filling every single time. You know, if you're hungry, you want meat and potatoes and bread. And when you start any line at retail, you start off having to prove that line. You have to prove the core of it, the meat and the potatoes and the bread and the milk. You've got to get that going. They have to understand that those four things sell every single day. And then you can start doing things like, well, here's some sushi. It's delicious. And, you know, I've got also have chicken curry that you should really try. It's a delicacy. And frankly speaking, that Indian restaurant down the street is amazing. It's incredible. And that's, that's very much the way you manage a toy line. You're like, you got to get the basics. And look, I'm being very Western centric because, by the way, if we were somewhere else in the world, the core four items that I just brought up would be different. They would be rice and beans or they would be something else. So, don't take that as me saying one particular culture as the expression, but that is for a, a line that's being released primarily in the West. That's by my best food analogy to kind of describe what's going on. And I should have mentioned cheese. <laughs> yeah, cheese, or I was going to say being in the food industry, steak, right? You yeah. have your choice, your prime, and then you go to dry age, yes. and then you go to A5 Wagyu and all the different great stakes of the world. But yes, I agree with you. And I think it makes sense, especially where there's a huge demand for a lot of these retro style figures. I mean, you are doing the LJNs, but you see the Hasbro retro and Remco style craze that's going on right now and how even other companies have developed new figures around those yep. scales and brought in like, you know, the master stuff, doing fun things for kids that collectors also like. I would love to see it. I hope we get it sooner than later. You know, I think the demand is there right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I and by the way, I really I celebrate these other companies that are doing it. I see them out there and I see them doing it and I see companies in the UK embracing giant haystacks and a, I think it's Chella Toys. They're a smaller organization. They they're very focused and, you know, I root for them. I I root for them. I actually wrestling figure podcast guys, they're doing like bendies. Like I root for them. Yep, major wrestling figure podcast, yep. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it all adds to the health of the state of the industry. Now, the one challenge that will happen if it gets too prolific and too fragmented is that it's difficult to understand who's bringing a quality program to the table. And you can only see that over time. But frankly speaking, I'm not at all worried about that today. But if there were 25 different groups trying to simultaneously pull off programs, something ultimately does have to give. Now, we're more of a mass-oriented, collectible toy organization that reaches out and has a global footprint. And so from that perspective, you know, we're more focused on and competing with what's happening in the world with like Mattel's. So I don't look at it, at it as competition as more as I look at it as, to me, it's like, it's almost like collaborative. It's almost like we're all in this together. Let's make the, like, again, back to the this is wrestling which is always in the back of my head. It's like that on the consumer product side. And, and that's the reason why I celebrate these other companies that are up and coming and, and giving it a real go. I, and frankly speaking, I like the product. Yeah. And it's fun. 
when I look at AEW and I look at what's going on with wrestling figures and the marketplace in general right now, it is fun. There's something for everyone. I may not want all of Cholo Toys figures, but I do have a couple in my collection, you know, and, and you can pick and choose. And that's what's super, super fun about the wrestling figure collecting industry right now. Moving to that and the fun aspect of it, as you can see right here, I have my Owen Hart shirt on and I were, I'm going to move on to exclusives because we talked earlier about how you got guys like Bret Hart and Warrior to sign these deals to make figures. Congratulations. I want to give you a standing applause for getting it done. We finally have an Owen Hart figure coming out in the, I don't know. I don't know much information about this. Will this be an AEW product? Will it be a more of a, a Owen Hart foundation project? Please, can you can you tell us anything about this? Because I think people got excited and then we got like we kind of took back a little bit. Well, you know what? I, I think that a lot of this will be revealed by AEW over time. And so one of my key priorities is not to harm the content and the future plans. But what I can tell you is this was a really big coordinated effort that required the Owen Hart Foundation and Martha Hart, it required AEW, some key talent within that organization that I don't know if they want to be specifically called out or not, Tony, and also from an action figure manufacturing standpoint, I've known Martha for quite some time and we've had discussions going all the way back to 2004, 2005. So I think that there's a trust factor there as well. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to truly celebrate Owen. and. From a content perspective, I'll let the rest of the story be told by AEW, which is the right way for this to be told. Wonderful. And that's just very exciting news. We can only assume to see him in exclusives and regular lines, possibly, and all that jazz, right? I mean, you know, we're going to get Owen Hart, right? You are. Yes. Great. Great. That is wonderful <laughs> news. Well, because we like to have fun here. And as I move to the more exclusive focused part of our interview here, I think that's what distinguishes you and what you've done throughout the years from your competitors and from other just toy companies. I think the exclusives have been a key to your success and just having fun. So to start off, you're going to have store exclusives everywhere. You're going to have them in Amazon. You're going to have like the gear pack Jericho. Uh, you're going to do the ringside collectible stuff. You have, I see a lot of Walmart exclusives that are about to ship or put on pre-order soon, like the Sting figure, the LGN Cody color variant. What can we expect for store exclusives moving forward? I know in the past, you've even partnered with online retailers like Pro Figures in the past and such. I mean, what can we expect and how many per year? What, what are your thoughts on all, all that? Well, it's a balance, right? It's a big, big balance because what you don't want to do is stress out the marketplace. I'm a big believer in the economics of collecting. and I don't want to put the consumer in a situation where they feel inundated by making purchases. And and one of the reasons why I have that benefit is that, you know, knock on wood, but our organization, we really put together a great architecture of brands from nothing. So between Pokemon, Fortnite, Roblox, owning Squishmallows, Coco Melon, which is the biggest preschool property in the world right now, and Cabbage Patch Kids and you know, all of these major brands that we have, and we're private, you know, all the other major giant toy companies that I mentioned, I think they're public, at least maybe only one isn't. So 
you know, we can be in the top five or six toy companies in the world and be private and not have to chase the dollar quarter to quarter, which means we don't have to tax out the AEW brand. We've got massive, massive brands at retail. But the thing that's so cool about AEW is that it's so consumer oriented and I love the content so much. No one ever gets mad at me for spending an inordinate amount of time focusing on the collector because there is a desire. We all do things that we love. And so if you're working on a preschool property, communications with the consumer is really through TV advertising and through online ads because that consumer isn't checking out your Twitter or social media and the parents are and they're and they're going to the at Jazzwares or the company oriented thing. But when you're working on a brand of like AEW where all the characters are superheroes and they all alive, they're all alive and real human beings and they all have social media, it's just been such a blast to engage with them and and that is a very, very formidable way of driving that that business and and driving that line. So I guess the long and short of it is what I'm saying to you is it's a balance. We're very well positioned to not ever stress it out. We'll grow it very prudently and in a way that does put everyone in a position to maximize and enjoy it for over a long period of time. And that's one of the great benefits of being a private company. Love it. It's been exciting with everything from the new Signature series announced for Pro Wrestling Tees exclusive, the Luminaris collection. I mean, you guys are just doing it right. Really quickly, the the Luminaris, can you explain to us a little bit more about that? And is yes. it going to be more like a classic Superstars line? What is the focus there? Because I know you have that Corazon Jericho coming out. You have a Sting yes. pegged in there. Give us an idea of what that really is. What is Luminaris to Jeremy Bedauer? Well, one of the cool things about AEW is that there's key talent involved in a lot of the aspects of the brand. So when they say, you know, EVPs or whatever else, it's not by just name only. These folks are deep in the organization. They're working. They're working in the ring and out of the ring. I think it's okay to give Chris Jericho credit where it's due. But, you know, I've named a lot of things over time, okay, including things like classic superstars and you know, unrivaled and all these things and ruthless aggression. Of course, that was a takeoff of John Cena, but whatever. You just borrowed it. It's okay. <laughs> I borrowed it. But it was the right name. It was yeah. the right name. And it's become legendary. If you ask wrestling fans, what is that? A large percentage of them would say it's the action figure. Some of them will say, you know, it's a segment that someone mentioned or it's an era. But Anyways, long and short of it is, and I and I, I think it's okay to reveal this, it was a conversation that I had with uh, Chris Jericho, and we were brainstorming. And he came up with the name Luminaries. And so I was like, wow, that is a really, it's a big word, like Luminaries, but what the hell? It's a great name. And you know what? Classic Superstars is two words, and it's a lot of letters, but it fits. And Luminaries could be a great name for an ongoing segment that could mean a lot of things. So this is going to be something that evolves over time. But I mean, I think you can kind of assume where something like that is going to go. Yeah, it's incredible. I love the first selection and the second selection that has been revealed so far. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Really quickly on the exclusive front, Mattel had a really successful campaign for their crowdfunded ring. And crowdfunding, as you can see right now, Hasbro's got about four items right now for crowdfunding. Super 7 is hitting everybody with 500 plus dollar vehicles. 
would Jazzwares ever crowdfund in AW wrestling or a wrestling product? I mean, I'll, I'll answer it in two different ways. Okay. We would consider it absolutely, but not as a way to hedge our bets. We don't need to establish a fund of money to do something. Look, cowboy shit. I love it. Cowboy shit. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll put on the cowboy hat, take a risk and scrape our knee and dust ourselves off. Okay. We don't need, we don't need that. However, if it's exciting and good for the fan, if it makes the consumer feel excited, it, it, it can't be about the money. We will never do it if it's because we can't afford it or because we don't trust it. We'll make a $500 item. I trust it. We all trust it, but it has to be fun. You'll never see us do it because we don't trust it. You'll see us do it because we think it's engaging. Awesome. I'm excited. I mean, I would, I'd be in. <laughs> and I love the fact that you said that about failure and about just putting it out there and doing it the cowboy way, because I think it's a situation where you've seen that happen with you know you in the past. I mean, so this is basically you know you're using the strategies that you did in the past, even with the classic superstars line, et cetera, where you just threw stuff at retail and some of it may have sat. You know, you had those classic superstar three packs that I mean they were everywhere for a while. <laughs> but you tried it, you threw it at the wall. If it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then and then you re-strategize as you move forward. Talking about strategy really quick, and I know you're yeah. pressed for time, so I want to make this real quick, the COVID world. I'm going to add one thing to what you said before. Taking risks, generally speaking, always pays off one way or the other. It either leads to something better, or it leads to a great lesson, or it leads to success in and of itself. I, I got to tell you, I have rarely in my life taken a risk that there's not something to be learned from it. And by the way, if you can assess beforehand that there's a risk where there's nothing to be gained except financially. That's the only possible thing you can gain from this. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Take risks where you feel like you can evolve, you can learn something, because most of the time, failure is part of the equation. And if you let financial failure be the only thing that sort of is your motivator, you're not ready to do that. Great words from the Godfather right there, folks. You got to listen to this, man. <laughs> this is, should be advice that you should be paying for, but you're getting for it free, free, free here. Squared Circle Action Figure That's Podcast. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Moving on. COVID world. Yeah. We are in it. We're, I don't know if it'll ever end. So we're in the COVID world. You, you explained before a little bit about your launch, your Unrivaled Collection launch, your undership, your undership to satisfy your retail partners. So then you can yes. throw, throw the sushi at them, throw everything at them. So it was difficult to find these figures at first, but I can find them everywhere now. Yeah. They come and go, but they come. So in a COVID world, have you guys faced been faced with a lot of delays? Can us as a consumer collector expect delays as we head into the holiday season or as we head into 2022, not including CNY, because obviously there will be a shutdown and you know you won't get product till April, May, whatever it is. Right. Are you facing delays? Are you facing production delays, logistics, et cetera? I'll sort of take this in two parts. The first part is, so when we launch the line, the most important thing at the launch of a line is to be short at retail because if you're long at retail, it's over. It's, it's over. Like if I would have shipped wave one, if we had shipped wave one, and instead of being as lean as we were, we were fat, there would not have been a wave three. 
Wave two would have already been in the bag because when they put wave one on the shelf, wave two is either in the water or being manufactured and it's hard to get out of it. Wave three would not have occurred, okay? You always, always lean towards that side. Be lean on your launch. Again, one of the benefits of not needing to make a crap load of profit on every decision we make, because as a big company with a lot of overhead and humans, you would think, maximize, maximize, maximize the quarter, do everything you can, drive business. You know, we don't subscribe to that, nor do we need to. So the best thing to do was to make a statement to retail that this is going to be great. Now, the challenge is when we ship that initial wave, the demand was significantly higher than the supply, which was frustrating to some consumers. And in, in addition to it being frustrating, it's 2021, or actually it was 2020 at the time. And you have a, a, a whole different world in terms of sophistication of people who buy product to sell it on the secondary market. So they have apps and they can say, boom, it's at this store. It's there right now. I got it. They pick the whole thing up. They sell it on the secondary market. So it's not like the old days where people kind of all had the same information and you were kind of surfing around and figuring it out. Now it's sophisticated, but I still wouldn't change it because I would rather be short and I don't even know how short until you get through a few waves. Because the way you do it is, let's say you ship, I'm going to make up a number, 100 units of the first wave. And let's say the demand was for 200 units. Well, you would only see that the demand is greater than the supply because the supply would be gone, right? Boom, it's gone. Well, you don't know if it's 120 or 200. So the next wave, you do 120 units. Well, now the demand, it was 220. But now, because people th see it's scarce and selling on eBay for more, now it's 250, but you went to 120. So wave three comes about, you go to 160. Wave four, you go to 180. Wave five, you go to 200. Well, at some point in time, you start to see a little bit of stasis. But the objective is to always keep supply under demand. Because if you keep supply slightly under demand, it's not so that we can make any more money. It's In fact, we're leaving money on the table. It's not to empower scalpers. It's for longevity. It's for longevity. I'll give you a story. In 1997, I think, Star Wars relaunched a big product line at retail. 96, 97, I don't remember exactly. They put out like $600 million worth of product. Okay, this is all public. There's nothing that people don't know. That's how I know. And the expectation was that it was going to blow out. And they sold through like $450 million in product. And it was considered a massive, massive gargantuan failure because they left $150 million at retail. Again, these numbers could be off, but I'm utilizing data from the time. So the challenge there is, it was the if they had shipped $400 million, it would have seemed to everyone as the biggest success of all time. It would have been shockingly successful. People would have been losing their minds as to how awesome it was. But they decided to cover 100% of that demand right off the bat. And so the things that have benefited me in my career is that I am a collector myself. I'm very economics oriented. And maybe that's because I was in school forever. But I believe in the laws of supply and demand, I'm not trying to harm anyone, trying to create longevity. And that's what this is all about. So 
The second part to your question was how are we managing through the world today where there's supply chain issues, where you have containers that have gone up 700% in price to ship across the water, where the demand is higher than the supply across almost every category of manufacturing. And here's the answer. The answer is cowboy shit. That's your answer. We do everything ethically that we can do to get ahead of all of this. We pay more for the containers if we have to, to take and we'll take a hit. We figure out entrepreneurial ways to solve problems. And we don't just have 12 people that went to Harvard in a back room coming to us with an answer. So will we be hit by it? Yes, everyone is going to get hit by this. But I like our chances. Like We're in excellent shape comparatively. But it doesn't mean like I can I'll, I'll give you an example. It's interesting. My I forget who said this to me. It was a friend of my wife. And she was saying that she had ordered a, a new dryer because her dryer broke or was on the fritz or like was underperforming, you know, like the things that happen in real life. And this dryer had like an, it was an eight week back order. Eight weeks went. It was another two months. Two months went. It was another three months. Still six months later, no dryer and more signs that it's going to take forever to get here. That is happening everywhere. So when you go to retail and you do see shortages, maybe part of it is we're still trying to figure out that perfect supply demand thing. But a big part of it is the overall dynamics of the world right now in terms of supply and demand and the supply chain itself. Yeah. And we're seeing that even in my industry. So I I am completely knowledgeable about what's going on logistically, cost increases, et cetera. What we like to do here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast is preach patience, right? You want to be patient. So guys, gals, be patient with Jeremy and the team. Be patient with things arriving to retail. You'll get what you want. That's what he's saying right now. With that said, though, do you think that you would expect a price increase on anything? I mean, God, you have so much value in your product right now with ratcheted joints and premium deco and accessories and wonderful, beautiful packaging. How you guys hit a 1999 retail price point is baffling to me. Do you see that going up over time? Probably, I would assume. What is your take on that? And how do you give so much value to the consumer? I mean, it's amazing. Well, again, we're private. So being private, we have more leeway because we don't have to report quarterly earnings. So if we want to go a quarter without making a profit, we could theoretically do that. Now, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But theoretically, there's nobody that's going to tank our company if we decide that it's the best thing to do. But yeah, I mean, look, I think you're going to see modest increases from us, but I don't think it'll be anything that you look at and go like, wow, that seems really patently unfair. You know, in my opinion, I think that you're going to see that across everything. And I think you're seeing it right now in the inflation index. It's not because we want to, it's because costing has increased pretty dramatically over the course of time. Now, the cost increases are greater than you might ever anticipate. But I would also say, again, we're also really, really savvy about the way we do our sourcing and manufacturing. So any increases from us, I think will be on the lower end of anything that you see at retail. But it's hard to know because I don't know what everybody else is doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) 
I know Hasbro, like their Star Wars lines are increasing in price. I know Mattel has bumped it up a little bit at Walmart as well. And you can see that we have not yet. No. And that's what I'm saying. It's so incredible. The value you're getting in these collectibles, these figures is just amazing with the price point. Oh, that's that's really good to hear because I remember that we were selling Ruthless Aggression figures back in the day for $6.99, $7.99. So, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to remove myself from that and remember that these things, it's a continuum over the course of time. And frankly speaking, the product nowadays is a lot more sophisticated. But I do appreciate that. That means a lot. And I'm sure it's going to mean a lot to anybody from our organization that hears this. Wonderful. I know, again, pressed for time, collecting wrestling figures, collecting in general. You're a big collector, Jeremy. You have an extensive Pokemon collection. As it pertains to wrestling figures, we were previously discussing the grading situation, the valuation discussion on past items, retro items. I mean, where do you see market prices going? I mean, can they go higher? Do you think a grading authority like a, what is it, AFA, I believe, does, yeah. CGC. And then you also have uh, the guys down in Florida, skipping my mind. But do you, CAS, do you see that becoming a thing with figures? Is it is it the problem because it's too expensive? Or where, where, no. what are your thoughts on collecting? Please. Well, I think it's, it's just difficult because the packaging, there's no real standard packaging. If you look at baseball cards versus sports cards versus Pokemon cards versus cards in general, there's a lot of consistency in terms of size. Okay, even if something's jumbo, I get it. But like, there's a lot of consistency. If you look at the depth of a lot of the packaging behind you, and you keep in mind that they really have to secure this product in the clamshell pretty tight in order for it to have longevity in that clamshell and not clink around and ruin the grade, it's just much more difficult, clumsy to achieve and probably more expensive. But if we do get to a world where grading becomes more of the norm, that's when you will start seeing massive valuation changes within the action figure space because you see it in every other category where there's grades that can really differentiate product. So if you've got something very rare or if you've got something that's scarce in general or has a secondary market demand and you're interested in collecting for value, for future value, keep things as pristine as you can. If that doesn't matter to you, then forget it. Enjoy it. Enjoy everything about it because there's more to life than making a dime. Again, personally, and this is not a fact or a financial advice, I see action figures have been trailing behind on the highest end in terms of valuation. You have cards that sell for millions and actually tens of millions at the highest end. And action figures you have selling for tens of thousands at the highest end. So there's a enormous potential gulf between those two universes. And it's not a huge difference in terms of mindset. And the wrestling figure collector is not any more broke as a group than the collectors of Pokemon or sports or anything else, Magic the Gathering. No, I think grading would make a big difference if they can figure out how to really revolutionize that. I think it's probably going to take a large company to to make some real serious investments in that universe. And there's been a lot of consolidation in terms of grading companies. And so it could very well happen. Yeah. And then secondly, I just think to me, there seems like a lot of bargains out there, but that's just my opinion. And I know pricing has gone up a lot, but again, here, I'll give you an example. And this is an interesting thing about wrestling. The most valuable baseball card, in my opinion, 
would be a 1952 Mickey Mantle PSA 10. There's only three of them. And if one sold right now, it would probably sell for close to $40 million. The most valuable wrestling card, I mean, there's a few that would fall into that possibility. Some of the 1982 wrestling all-stars like Hogan and Andre and PSA 9 or BGS 9.5. There's a 1973 Andre the Giant that I have. It's a PSA 10. There's a few things, but I don't know if they would sell for $100,000. In fact, I'm positive they wouldn't. The Hogans would sell for 30 or 40. There may be a $100,000 wrestling card out there. I don't know. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's a big difference between $40 million and $100,000. Now, there may not be a big difference between those two numbers if you don't have any money. And I respect that because I've been there. But I assure you there's a big difference between $40 million and $100,000. I promise in the greater scheme of things, there is. Oh, there's a huge <laughs> difference. I agree. And it's funny you mentioned, now I have the Pro Wrestling Stars. I have a wax box nice. here unopened. Pro Wrestling Stars. I believe that's 85. Yeah, there's there's an 82, then there's an 85 in Wrestling Wax. Both of them have gone way up in value. My question to you is this. In these other areas, it's taking larger investment-focused people to actually buy these items. Is that what it's going to take as well as a larger grading, consolidated grading company to do this? Wrestling, wrestling has lagged behind a little bit in that regard. But I I think that the wrestling fan tends to be more adamant than almost any other fan. Like it's a lifestyle. It's not like a pastime. Like the baseball fan goes to a baseball game and enjoys it and comes home and has a Yankees hat and whatever. A wrestling fan, they don't have a team. They have a bunch of individuals that they follow. If you want to call the fact they have a team, maybe, maybe maybe there's a team WWE and team AEW. Maybe. I don't know. I consider myself a wrestling fan, you know? No, I just, I feel like it's lag behind. And I, you know, if again, there's no guarantees, but I would predict that when something seems irrational, it tends to become rational over time. And frankly speaking, I know that it sounds like $40 million is a lot for a baseball card. But I will tell you right now that if that card went on the blocks at 20 million, there would be such a demand and so many individuals and so many institutions that would be willing to pay that, that it becomes very pragmatic that it would be worth more than that. I could almost count 20 individuals. Like if, if someone told me right now that 1952 tops mantle PSA 10 was $20 million, I would go deep on that personally and I would get other people to buy it. You know, for whatever it's worth, that's how real that is. Yeah. And there are even apps you can do this on like rally. Yes. Stuff. Oh, I love I love that. I love that. And I've got in a lot of Pokemon stuff on rally. Now I'm down a lot, but I want to see what they actually sell it for. Like you said, to groups of investors or whatnot. To finish off this, I want to thank you for your time, Jeremy. Really quickly, I want to talk about your social media visibility and philanthropic drive to give back to this wrestling figure community and the Pokemon community and just collecting in general. I mean, you got at Jeremy Com on Twitter, at Jeremy Padauer on Instagram. You just love giving back. You're giving away money. You're giving away figures. You're buying things for people. I mean, it, you are doing an incredible job as a person to help give back to these people, you know, to, to, us, to our Thank community. Thank you for that. That's very tough. So as an organization, you can find us at Jazzwares everywhere. So at Jazzwares on Instagram, Twitter, anywhere you look. As an individual you know, who likes to crack a few jokes and give away a few things occasionally. You know, for me, honestly, what it, what it's more about is just connecting with people. You know, the pandemic was really crazy. I mean, I've spent so long in my career 
going to trade shows and offices and that I got really deep into social media during that time. And I didn't have any presence on social media at all at the start of the pandemic. You know, even though way back in the day with wrestling figs, I was doing like hosting things on jeremy.com, et cetera. But I, I didn't want to be on social media if I didn't have something specifically that I felt like I could bring to the table for people. And then, you know, the pandemic really pushed me there. And I realized, wow, a lot of people are interested in what I might have to say or so. Yeah, no, it's been great. So yeah, on Twitter, it's jeremy.com on Instagram, it's jeremy Pidauer, and of course, LinkedIn, various other things. But it's been a great time, man. It's been an amazing time. I've got to say that I've never been happier to be in the toy industry than I am right now. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be here, both in business and as a collector, Jeremy. Thank you for coming on, obviously. Uh, This is just another example of your drive to give back to our community. I want to thank you for giving us the time. I hope our listeners learn a lot from this. I know I personally did. And yeah, I mean, again, as you said, you can find him at JeremyCom on Twitter, at JeremyPower on Instagram. AW All Elite Wrestling is everywhere you have at AW by Jazzwares, at Jazzwares on Instagram. Give him a follow. Jeremy, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you so much. And I got to tell you, I'm absolutely fascinated and interested in knowing more about the cheese business. And that is 100% earnest. I, I think it's really, really interesting. Like to that, that sounds like a kind of a, I imagine that you could kind of go deep and tell a lot of stories there too, but it may not be the genre of this particular podcast. No, no. I'll slide into your DMs as they like to say, if you want to learn a little bit more about that, I'd love to send you some great cheese. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on. And again, we're very thankful for having you guys and gals. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SQDCircleAFP. And remember, the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast is the gold standard in wrestling figure collecting.